0: Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast. This is for the Super Bowl, the Eagles against the Patriots in Minnesota. So, Matt and I are going to talk about the FanDuel contest, the DraftKings contest, because they both have these weird alternative contests for the Super Bowl. The FanDuel one is newer, the DraftKings mm-hmm. showdown has existed for the playoffs. And I guess the goal is always just to have a really big contest for the Super Bowl. I think that's the only reason that the showdown mode was launched. Uh, The big differences we'll get into, there's the, for the DraftKings, there's defensive players involved. For FanDuel, there's bonuses for, I think, what is it, like a 3X or a a 2X bonus for one player you could put in a spot. So we'll go over the strategies for that. And then. So we'll start with, Matt, what is the Vegas line for the game, and is there any sharp action on either side?
1: Oh boy, let's talk about the Super Bowl Vegas line. Yeah, this one's a bit weird because there's been Vegas line value on most of the Super Bowls in recent memory. Uh, there, it was a pretty fair line last year, both in terms of the spread and the total, but one of the indicators where you can see value is just line movement. And the few Super Bowls before that, there were a a couple where the over-under dropped pretty dramatically uh, leading up to the game, and it was usually with the public on the over. Uh, There's definitely a public bias generally towards the over in Super Bowls. It's kind of just true of all primetime games for the most part where a lot of people who don't really know much about the sport are betting on it because it's just the thing to do when it's the Super Bowl or even Monday Night Football in general sometimes, and people will take the over, and then Sharp Money will take the under because the line gets inflated. Um, And even with the sides of the game, there's been some value recently where one team is just perceived to be way better than they are, or the other team is perceived to be worse than they are. But we don't have much of that for this Super Bowl. Uh, The line has moved. The Patriots opened at minus six. The line's only four and a half now. I think a lot of that has to do with speculation about the status of Rob Gronkowski, I think some people may just be betting the Eagles because they think Gronk will either be limited or not playing. So there could be some inherent value there on the Patriots just if there's a correction on the Eagles that just isn't warranted because of Gronk's status. Um, The issue with this line specifically, though, is key numbers. So if the line moves from 3.5 to 4.5, that's across a key number of 4. That's a pretty relevant number in terms of how much teams generally win by. Four is one of the most common score margins in football. Uh, But this game has moved from six to four and a half. So it's moved across the number five, and that's just not really a significant number. So it's not even like you're getting that much value in a change of one and a half points here because we've kind of moved across insignificant numbers. Uh, As far as the total, it's moved from 47 and a half up to 48 with some public betting on the over. Uh, It does look like there may be a little bit of sharp action on the under, Uh, I think the total actually did reach 48.5 at one point, was bet down to 48. But overall, it just looks like these lines are really fair. I'll say that there's a little bit of bias towards the over, and there's probably a little bit of bias towards the Eagles because of that Gronk speculation I mentioned. Um, And then the last thing I'll mention on this, the Eagles were a contrarian pick against the spread in both of their playoff wins, and the public was very heavy against them in both of their wins. So there could be some recency bias here where the public got beat by the Eagles two weeks in a row, and now they're thinking, okay, well, the Eagles are good. They're for real. They've cost me money two weeks in a row. Now I have to bet on them. Uh, And I also think there's a lot of hatred for the Patriots that exists, and that could be causing some bias too. So with that being said, I don't think there's a lot of value, but I think the little bit that there is would be on the Patriots and on the under.
0: Yeah, I I think what you said is definitely correct. At least just from looking at the numbers, it, it would appear to me that the Patriots should be bigger favorites. I don't think the Eagles are a particularly great offense without Carson Wentz and replacing uh, Nick Foles with him instead. I'm, I'm going to look at the DVOA numbers really quick.
1: Well, I'll mention this quickly before you bring that up. Nick Foles has a ton of volatility in his week, week-to-week week performance, um, so I think it's hard to, well for actually betting on the game, to lay a minus 110 vig on either side because we kind of just don't know what we're going to get from Foles. I think he might be more intrinsically inconsistent than most quarterbacks that are playing. A lot of it is just because he hasn't played that much this year. And also, I think he may be just very mistake prone or for whatever reason, he seems to kind of alternate good games and bad games. And he also even alternates good seasons and bad seasons. So I don't even know if we can tell how good or bad Foles really is.
0: Well, it's worth noting that for the season in weighted DVOA, the Patriots come out number one and the Eagles come out number seven. The Eagles at a 23.6% weighted DVOA, the Patriots at 33.6%. And I don't really know how much that accounts for, because I know that takes recent performance into account, but I don't know also how much of Carson Wentz's games are in there. Because even if we are saying that there is variance to Foles' game and he could play better, there's no situation where I want Foles over Carson Wentz.
1: Yeah, those numbers definitely do include a lot of Carson Wentz's performance, but you can't really tell how much. Um, The weighted DBOA numbers... Weight the end of the season more heavily than the beginning of the season, but it's kind of scaled week by week, and we just we don't know the exact formula. Um, if you want to make a subjective adjustment to the Eagles' DVOA and bump them down to five to ten percentage points, then I guess that would be fair. And then if you're doing that, where the Patriots are in the low thirties and the Eagles are around fifteen. Uh, DVOA kind of translates roughly to about 6 percentage points, is about 1 point for the spread for the game. Um, So that that would only make the Patriots about 3 or 4 point favorites. But I think the negative adjustment for Foles might even be more extreme than that. So I think it's hard to say. And I also think that DVOA itself might be underrating New England a bit um, because they have played a lot better in the second half of the season. So the weighted number does take that into account some. But I I think it still might be underselling, um, or I think we might have been overrating how bad the Patriots' defense is. I think it is bad, but it may not be as bad as the raw DVOA number suggests.
0: All right, so let's talk about the DraftKings contest as opposed to further going on about how there's no value in the betting (laughs) line. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: So instead of, I guess we probably could talk for another 15 minutes about how there's no value because uh, people don't know this, but after the podcast is over, Matt and I usually talk for three hours about nothing. So we, we could definitely do that for a while longer, but we'll go into the DraftKings, the, the showdown mode. If you want to go to uh, rotopros.com, I did do a write-up on just basic lineup construction strategies for the showdown mode, and we'll cover a lot of that stuff here. Basically, what I outlined is I, I think that the way to target the showdown modes here is you pick a game flow and you build your entire lineup around that kind of stack. Because for the individual defensive players, it's I've looked through the game logs of the players. It doesn't really seem like there's any way to say like, oh, this guy's a good value or this guy's uh, underpriced or so this guy's like really consistent just in general if people play they put up fantasy points for defensive players but other than that like game by game it kind of tends to be all over the place in terms of the point output so i think the way that you target these games is let's say you think that you just build a lineup with the assumption of the patriots win by a lot of points what happens in that scenario they're running the ball late so that means Dion lewis increase in value then what happens on the Eagles side of the game? They're probably throwing the ball down to, to a possession receiver like Nelson Aguilar a lot late. So I think it would make sense to do something like you play Deion Lewis with Nelson Aguilar, and then for defensive players, if we think the Patriots are going to run the ball, then you probably want to take Eagles linebackers because that's somebody who's likely to pick up tackles and get points. And if we're targeting Eagles uh, possession-wide receivers, then you probably want to take – New England, a cornerback or a safety because that's somebody who's going to have more opportunities to make a play on the ball. So I think that that's how you should go about building these lineups just because it's – well, for one, that creates more upside because all players are correlated. But then number two, for defensive players, I just think it's too hard to look at, say, like uh, Malcolm Jenkins or something like that and say, like, oh, I just think Malcolm Jenkins is a really good play. Like, I don't think there's any basis for thinking any individual player is a really good play. Because even if you look through like Jenkins' last two games, it's 3.5, 7, 12.5, 3, 3.5 fantasy points. The production's all over the place. So does that make sense to you, Matt? And do you have any other kind of counterpoints or alternative
1: thoughts? Um, it does make sense. I don't have much of a counterpoint. But generally, when we're talking about something where there's a ton of randomness and just a lot of unpredictability... The move then is to go for low ownership because if all the players are basically the same, and the defensive players are also priced all kind of around the same number. Uh, the high end is 5,100, the low end is 2,000. Most of the starters are 2,800 or higher, is roughly the cutoff. So there's not a lot of pricing difference. Um, I would definitely be interested in finding lower owned players, but I don't even see how that's possible. Like, there's no way to really forecast where the ownership will be. I mean, someone like James Harrison is probably going to be overowned because he's a name that people have heard of, and he doesn't play a ton of snaps right now. Um, I had the snap counts up from last week. Let me just grab that real quick because I think I think my sh- strategy would be something that aligns with yours, where you're going for game flow, but I'd also want to stay away from players that probably, or at least we can sort of guess, will have some ownership. And I think James Harrison might be one of those names. I'm not really sure who the other names would be. Malcolm Jenkins is sort of a popular name that people might know pretty well. Um, let's see. Snap count for James Harrison from last week. He played 40, also- 43% of the Patriots defensive snaps. So like that, that's a pretty low number for someone who's priced towards the top of this list. Um, and... If people are interested in looking at this, you can go on Football Outsiders and you can sort uh, from week 20, which is last week, the snap counts for all the Patriots defensive players and you can kind of see who's on the field more than other guys. Um, I don't want to pay up and I guess 4,200 out of this budget is kind of paying up. I don't want to pay up for someone who's going to play less than half the defensive snaps.
0: Yeah, and I mean that also shows in his fantasy point outputs because he's played two games with the Patriots and he scored three fantasy points in both those games. He's had... Three tackles and no other stats. A tackle's worth one point for the individual defensive players. So I I do think another way that kind of makes sense at least, if there's anybody that's really glaring, is to look at the points per game for the players. So even if you're just doing it that way, like James Harrison stands out as a bad play because he is 4,200 and scores 3.9 fantasy points per game, whereas the players above him and below him are all in the six range. So there are some players you can just look at who I think kind of stand out as bad plays for their prices, like James Harrison, just because his points are so much lower than the guy's priced around him.
1: Yeah, that that definitely makes sense. And then uh, on the game flow thing, it it certainly would be logical to go for corners and safeties for the opposing team that you figure to have to lead late. But I think going for pass rushers, too, um, with more passing plays, I think targeting defensive ends— Let's say you think the Patriots will have a lead at the end of the game. I think the Patriots' defensive ends would make for strong plays there, too. You could have sacks. You could have fumbles. Uh, If the Eagles are passing more, then there's certainly more opportunity there. Um, So I think the general strategy should be linebackers for the team that's losing, or maybe even defensive tackles, because defensive tackles get most of their production from run-stopping plays up the middle. I think it would be defensive tackles and linebackers for the team you figure to be losing, And then kind of just every other position for the team you figure to be winning. So the secondary is the obvious angle. And then also the defensive ends and maybe even the outside linebackers. I think those would be the high upside positions for the team that has the lead.
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense. And then so let's get into some of the offensive players, because I do think they are there are some good values on offense, and that is something that we could get into
1: and Yeah, we out. actually know the offensive players uh, a little bit. We've been using them all season, so I think we can talk a little bit more about the offensive side.
0: So Tom Brady is really expensive. I still think, though, the two best guys to pay up for on offense are still Tom Brady and Nick Foles because we know that they're going to have pretty uh, a pretty high baseline for production this game. And then I think there are some pretty – cheap skill position players that are decent plays like you're not going to be able to use Brady with Gronkowski and then Foles also but you could use Brady with say uh well okay so let's let's start with the value plays then because I think the number one guy who stands out as just being too cheap is Chris Hogan at 6,400
1: yeah definitely uh seeing Danny Amendola price ahead of Chris Hogan at all is a little bit alarming But to this extent is just absolutely absurd. I mean, Chris Hogan was much more of a component of the Patriots offense for the entire season. And for whatever reason, Danny Amendola has produced better in the playoffs. Maybe there's something to that where Brady is looking to Amendola more. But I think Hogan's snap counts have been higher in both playoff games. Uh, And Amendola just has happened to get a lot of third down catches. There's a bit of a narrative here that the Eagles struggle more in the middle of the field than they do on the outside, Uh, just looking at their DVOA by position. um, Actually, I lost that page. I'll pull that up again. But I do think that people kind of view the Eagles as better defensively at cornerback than they are in the middle of the field. And the Patriots also have been throwing in the middle of the field a lot. Uh, Part of that, though, is that Jacksonville kind of funnels the ball to to the middle of the field because Ramsey and Bouye are just so good on the outside that – that game just kind of played out that way where the ball was going to Amendola. Also, Gronk was out of the game, so Amendola certainly benefited from that. Uh, I guess you were
0: had done almost nothing in that game until Gronkowski got hurt. Like, if I remember correctly, Amendola had two catches in the first half before Gronkowski got that concussion, and then just Amendola took a lot of those targets over the middle of the field that normally would have gone to Gronk. Um, I know that... It's it's hard to read too much into the snap count for last week because it was definitely impacted by Gronkowski being hurt and then Amendola playing a bigger role. But the week before that, where Amendola also had a monster game, Chris Hogan was on the field for a significant higher percentage of snaps than Amendola was.
1: Yeah, and I know you only mentioned Chris Hogan as the value play, but I think it does go hand-in-hand with a Danny Amendola fade where... Amendola will be higher owned, is more expensive, and probably has less expected output than Hogan does. So I think all of that strongly points in Hogan's direction. Um, To look at the DVOA numbers, though, the Eagles were 7th against number one receivers. They were actually the best team in the NFL against number two receivers, and they were 22nd against other receivers. So if you're looking at those numbers, that favors Amendola a lot. But this is something I mentioned before we started, that in the Super Bowl, with two weeks to prepare for the game for both teams... I think the teams kind of know each other's—well, they know their own weaknesses, and they kind of can have more time to gauge how the other team will potentially target them. I think the Eagles certainly know that the Patriots will want to go towards the middle of the field against them, and I think the Eagles will put more of an emphasis on stopping—well, Gronk first, but Amendola also with how many receptions and how many yards he's had over the last couple weeks. I think that it could be a little bit of overthinking it where— If the Eagles are playing to prevent their weakness from occurring, maybe their strengths become a little bit less strong in terms of game planning, and that could open things up a little bit more for Chris Hogan and for Brandon Cooks, and I certainly do think that Gronk and Amendola will be the two highest-owned Patriots pass catchers. Yeah,
0: I don't mind rostering Gronk with Brady. I don't like rostering Amendola at all. I think there are two guys who really stand out to me as fades, and that's Danny Amendola and Alshon Jeffrey. Jeffrey's also just way too expensive for me. Would you agree with that?
1: Yeah, I think I think you could justify Jeffrey more than Amendola. Um, I don't know if I were making well, it dep- I think it depends how many satellites we win and how many tickets we get for this for this contest. But if I were making a lot of lineups, I think I maybe would have Jeffrey in a couple of them, and I would certainly have zero at Danny Amendola. I mean. You'd probably have to be talking like 100 lineup combinations to start thinking about Danny Amendola as a hedge. I think there's a lot of leverage in fading him. I think he'll be one of the more popular players because of how, how good he's been during the playoffs. And even beyond that, he's just too expensive. So I feel much more confident about the Amendola fade than the Jeffrey fade. But I, I see the logic in fading him too. And I guess we can look at Nelson Aguilar next because I, I certainly prefer him to Jeffrey.
0: For me, it's just the price. Like, that's such an absurd price for Jeffrey, where I would much prefer to roster Zach Ertz if I'm going for an expensive Eagles receiver. Uh, But in terms of the Eagles offensive players, my favorite, I mean, we could talk about Nelson Aguilar also, but my favorite is Jay Ajayi at 8,300.
1: Yeah, mine is Ajayi, too. I think Aguilar would probably be my second favorite. But Ajayi's been underpriced in DFS for basically, I think, the whole playoffs. We've been on him every week of the playoffs. Um, He was a little underpriced at the end of the regular season, too. The issue with him is, well, there's two issues. The Eagles could just decide to go with more of a committee, uh, especially if Ajayi has an early fumble or just isn't that effective. But it's a good matchup for him against the Patriots, so I'm not concerned there. And he has the upside um, the other issue though, is the red zone where Jai just isn't really involved. The Garrett Blunt gets basically all of the red zone carries and he's on the field for basically all of the red zone plays, except for probably third and longs in the red zone. And then it's most likely Corey Clement anyway, and not a Jai. So for a Jai to have a huge game, he either probably needs to catch a lot of passes or break a long touchdown. And I don't think either of those are out of the question. And he's also just cheap. So even if he doesn't do that thing, Even if he doesn't do those things, he's not a bad play at 8,300. It's just – it's hard to see a ton of upside because of the lack of red zone.
0: Um, And then one other thing, just because you mentioned his name, I think that there is a – if you're going to double stack Tom Brady with two receivers, so let's say you want to go like Brady with Gronkowski and Hogan, I think it makes sense to roster – Corey Clement instead of Jay Ajayi, because since Clement is the pass-catching back, I think that if the Patriots are going to score a ton of points through the air, then it probably figures that the Eagles are trying to catch up late in the game, and that could mean a lot of dump-off passes to Clement, who probably isn't going to have much ownership. I'm sure people are not going to think about him. But you could go Brady with two receivers, then Clement and fit it in pretty easily.
1: Yeah, I think that that correlation definitely makes sense. If Brady has a massive passing game, the Eagles probably won't be keeping pace, and they probably will be trailing at the end of the game. It could be a lot of situations where Corey Clements on the field. Um, and just while we're on the subject, I think there are a couple other running backs worth fading. Uh, Legarrett Blunt is at fifty five hundred. If I'm using a cheap Eagles running back, it's going to be Clement. He's a lot cheaper, down at thirty seven hundred. I think Lagary Blunt will be a lot higher owned. Um, kind of just the name recognition. He's been around a lot longer. And Oh, Clement's at 4,300, not 37, but yeah, still a lot cheaper. LeGarrette um, Blount's also scored touchdowns throughout the season. He has, I think it's three touchdowns in the playoffs, but he still doesn't even score that many fantasy points, no, even he's when scored, he's getting touchdowns.
0: He, he has scored... And it's over, two touchdowns
1: in the playoffs, one each game.
0: Yeah, and he scored over nine fantasy points... Uh, zero times since Week 8. He scored 12 in Week 8 against the 49ers. And then also, don't forget, they added a J.H.I. after that. So since they got a J.H.I., his high watermark for points is 8.
1: Yeah, there's just no upside. You basically, if you're picking LeGarrette Blunt, you're assuming he's scoring two touchdowns. Because even at one touchdown, Clement still probably is in, in the neighborhood for total points. And Clement has more upside. It's not like he can't score a touchdown. Um, so given Blunt's potential ownership, he has huge dud potential. If he doesn't score, if he doesn't score, he's going to finish at three points or less. Like he's not going to do anything unless he scores a touchdown. Uh, and it's certainly not a lock that he scores a touchdown. So I won't be using any of him. And then the other running back, uh, it's from the other side of the game that I think is worth fading is James White. Now that Rex Burkhead is back. Uh, White is just kind of expensive. He's actually just as expensive, roughly, as Ajayi is. That just seems kind of crazy to me. Ajayi is going to have more touches. White has more touchdown potential, but the touches just likely won't be there for him. And I think White has been pretty popular over the last few weeks in the playoffs. I he think- has
0: seven carries for 15 yards in the playoffs.
1: Right, and he has a couple receptions, and he has scored two touchdowns. He scored once in each game.
0: He, he He scored three touchdowns and has seven carries for 15 yards. Right,
1: two rushing touchdowns, one receiving touchdown. He has seven receptions. But Burkhead was out against the Titans, and he was severely limited against the Jaguars. With two more weeks off, I mean, we can't really know what's going on with Rex Burkhead, but I would imagine that he's more involved than he's been throughout the playoffs. He should cut into James White's workload a little bit, and White is still a backup running back either way.
0: Yeah, arguably he's, the, arguably he's their third running back. Um, I would think that Deion Lewis, James White, Rex Burke had all see snaps in this game. I still think that Deion Lewis is a fine play just because I, I think he's so much better than those other guys. But I think for the price, I still prefer Ajayi a little bit, but, but both are in play.
1: Yeah, I think out of the three Patriots running backs, I would certainly go with Lewis the most. And I don't even know if I have any interest in either of the other guys. Burkhead should be low-owned because he hasn't really done anything yet in the playoffs. But he was a pretty important part of the offense throughout most of the regular season. He's had some pretty big fantasy games, and he just hasn't been around much in the playoffs. He had one carry last week. He had one target in the passing game, zero receptions. And the week before, like I said, he was out. Um, So it's kind of a flyer on Burkhead. I think the price is a little too high. I'd be more inclined to play him if he was cheaper. And I think Lewis is going to end up being the only one of the three that I roster. Uh, Probably Ajayi more than Lewis, but I think I'll have them both a lot.
0: I would consider throwing Burkhead into a lineup or two just because the four games he played prior to getting injured, he had scored a touchdown in all of them and had two multi-touchdown games. So... The ceiling for Burkhead is still pretty high if he's going to take back that role. We just don't really know what the—we we don't know if that's what the case is. But I would I would consider using him in a couple of lineups and fading Dion Lewis. Um, I just—I don't know if we're going to need to go down that much in salary savings, and I would still prefer to roster uh, Deion Lewis or Jay Jai or Corey Clement.
1: Well, last thing on the running backs, do you think there's a particular game flow that favors Rex Burkhead, or does he sort of just randomly get sprinkled in in various points in the game and it's kind of unpredictable?
0: Yeah, I think it's just random. I don't think that there's, I don't really think there's a situation where we could roster Rex Burkhead and other players around him where they correlate well.
1: All right. I kind of want to backtrack a little bit on this tournament before we move on from it, um, because there are some pretty high priced quarterbacks that aren't the starters. uh, And I I don't think I had specified too much where I stand on Brady and Foles. I I do think that they're both the strongest plays, and I think Gronk is a fine play also. Um, Brady's ownership is going to be off the charts, but if you fade him and he has... I mean, what would a dud look like for Brady? He scores 15 fantasy points. I mean, it's not even like... It's not like he can really sink a lineup unless he gets injured. I mean, what is a scenario where Brady has an awful game without getting hurt? Is is there even more than a 5% chance that Brady puts up less than 12 fantasy points in this game?
0: Well, Brady averaged 21 fantasy points per game during the regular season, and he scored below 15 points twice, and it was actually in consecutive games.
1: And those were both road games against bad defenses. Um, I it's mean,
0: I, it's at, my, at Miami and at Buffalo.
1: I guess it's possible, but...
0: It's very unlikely.
1: Yeah, and even if Brady scores 10 points and you don't use him, it's going to be hard to get a lot of production out of the Patriots receivers anyway. I mean, a Brady fade outside of using Hoyer and hoping he gets injured, which I just think is a terrible strategy, mostly because Hoyer costs 9800
0: that, That's uh, That's over overthinking the contrarian angle, and it is something that Matt and I may or may not have discussed last week
1: we discussed it yeah in one of those three hour post podcast segments I think we discussed Brian Hoyer for the majority of it yeah the problem with uh, fading Brady for Hoyer and hoping for the injury just taking a long shot move there is that Hoyer at 9800 in let's call it optimistically three quarters of the game I'm
0: I, what, Stop you for a second, Matt. Yeah, we don't need to explain to people why they don't have to roster, why they shouldn't roster Brian Hoyer. This I week. don't know. I feel
1: like people might be interested in it, just seeing his name up there. Like he's the fifth highest-priced player on the slate. It's a there
0: are gonna be there are gonna be zero people that message me on Twitter and ask if they should play Brian Hoyer this week.
1: Well, now they will because we've already we brought up his name. <laughs> no, we nobody's gonna
0: them. roster Hoyer.
1: Yeah, it's just uh, I thought it was worth mentioning at least how absurd it is that Hoyer is the fifth most expensive player on the slate when there's a 99% chance that he throws zero passes.
0: Probably higher than
1: 99%. Yeah, 99 and change. I mean, it's either Brady gets hurt or the Patriots are already up by so many points that they pull Brady from the game. And in that case, How I think do Brady... By
0: Super... How much would you have to be winning by in the Super Bowl to pull the starting quarterback?
1: Well, my point was, if that is the case, Brady probably had a really good day. So if you rostered Hoyer for that scenario, you probably should have just stuck with Brady.
0: Where's probably more likely to get negative fantasy points than positive fantasy points where there's that weird because if he if he was to come in to kneel the football at the end of the game which also isn't happening
1: well you let Brady do it it's funny you say that because Nate Sudfeld actually had negative point four fantasy points last week and he's the uh, Eagles backup quarterback who, who you could have for 8700
0: you also shouldn't roster him
1: yeah so uh back to the more relevant point on Brady even if he puts up a dud which let's call it 10 to 15 points somewhere in that range, there's not a ton of value to not having him there. Like I don't really think that you could go elsewhere and expect big production unless you're using I mean a Brady Fade would have to include, let's say, Deion Lewis and it, then a bunch of Eagles. Have, it has to have Deion Lewis
0: because ha- or else or else do you think the Patriots scores zero fantasy points.
1: Right. So that and and in that case the showdown uh, tournament probably becomes so random that there isn't really a good strategy for a scenario where the Patriots score zero points. Um, So a Brady fade realistically would have to include Dion Lewis and then probably just three Eagles players, right?
0: Yeah, I would think uh, it would just be so low scoring. This would be so stupid. Here's the thing also. If if that gets to a point where you're fading Brady and at the end of the game, Any, like, 40-yard pass play probably breaks the entire tournament.
1: Right, because whoever that receiver is, then that person is now in the winning lineup. Because the scoring will be so low that if you didn't guess that receiver properly, you don't win. Yeah, I I won't be fading Brady. I just don't, don't see the upside in it.
0: Yeah, I think... The other thing also is if you don't play him, how much salary
1: do you have to play with? Right, I mean, let's say you go with Nick Foles and you use... Ajayi and Lewis, because it would probably have to be a running game, a running-based game for that to work. Uh, You can make a reasonable lineup that uses Foles, Ajayi, Lewis, obviously two defensive guys, and then maybe you throw in Ertz or Aguilar or maybe even Alshon Jeffrey, and I think that at least fills the salary.
0: Uh, It still doesn't really fill the salary.
1: Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I don't like this route anyway. I think it is doable, and then you would have a little bit of leftover money, and it would certainly be contrarian. Brady could, I don't know, before we move on from this, what's your guess for Brady's ownership for this tournament? Uh,
0: I'll say like 80%. It's so hard because we haven't really played one. We haven't really seen a lot of these played before. I'll, I'll, say, I'll say he's going to be eighty in the 80%.
1: Okay, I was thinking uh, somewhere in the 70s. So if we draw the line at 80, I don't know. One of us will be right. But I, th- I think it will be very high. I think we're sort of on the same page there.
0: All right, so final thoughts. Uh, correlate the players together. We think Jay Ajayi, Chris Hogan are both good value plays. Fade Danny Amendola. And we can move on to the FanDuel contest.
1: All right, let's do it. Let's talk kickers.
0: Okay, so uh, you really spoiled the the (laughs) surprise. So first let's talk about how this tournament works. Because for the FanDuel one, you roster uh, five players. I had to count that really quick because I wasn't sure. So you roster five players, and one spot gives you 2x points. So now the key to the 2x point spot is you want it to be your player who you think is going to score the most points, probably Tom Brady. And you put him in that flex spot. Because double points, you want your players to score the most points to score double points. And I think that there is going to be somewhat of leverage to be gained on the field just by people who put stupid players in the 2x spot.
1: Yeah, because uh, when we were talking about this last week, we, uh, we did discuss for a few minutes strategies where you don't put Brady in the 2x spot. Um, and, then,
0: and then we talked about why it was stupid, and then we, and then we kept going back to it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but I think I think we've uh, we've figured it out now. It's good that we hashed that out before we got on this podcast. Um, so if Brady scores twenty points and you have him in the two X, that's forty points. And if another player scored fifteen, that's only thirty points. You want your player that's going to score the most there because you're getting double the points, and double of a high number is more than double of a low number. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. Um, so I'll but be putting, ideally
0: it's Tom Brady they are putting in that spot.
1: Yeah. So we both. I mean, we just went over how safe of a play Tom Brady is for the Super Bowl how many, well, how pretty clearly he's the best pick for fantasy production of all the players because quarterbacks generally score the most points of any player and Brady is better than Nick Foles by quite a bit. Um, so I'll be putting Brady in that 2X spot for every lineup. And I think it is it is going to be a lot of what you said where people who just don't know what they're doing and people who try to get too cute with it and just say like, oh, what if I put Zach Ertz in the 2X spot and he goes or off or, <laughs> Yeah, I think we actually discussed putting kickers in the 2X spot because like, just in case they kick six field goals, no one's going to have that. That was also
0: like 3.30 in the morning.
1: Yeah, I think we were a little delirious at that point. Um, But Brady is the most likely player to have the most points for fantasy purposes of any player in the Super Bowl. And I will be putting him in the 2X spot in every lineup. And I think that his ownership might be, let's call it 70 or 80% for this, just like the other Slate. Which means that less than that will have him in the two X spot. Maybe only fifty percent of the field puts him in that spot. Do you think that's a reasonable guess?
0: Um, I would say maybe a little bit more, but there's definitely going to be like ten to twenty percent of people who roster Brady and just don't put him in that spot because either they way overthink it or they way over, or they way underthink it.
1: Yeah, underthinking would be they just don't realize the value of the 2x spot. Overthinking, they do what we were doing and uh, maybe put some random player or kicker in the 2x spot and hope that it's contrarian. But I think it's just a bad move. You You don't have to come in first place to win money. You can come in some other place near the top or just cash. I mean, generally, I don't like going with the chalk, and I know you don't either, but the, the there just isn't value in going elsewhere here. And it's not like there are a lot of choices and most of the players will have a lot of ownership.
0: There is one other guy who I do like for the 2X spot and that's Nick Foles.
1: Yeah, well Nick Foles is the second, probably the second best player to target in terms of total fantasy points. Um, so if it's not Brady that scores the most fantasy points in the Super Bowl, then it's probably Foles. Um, if,
0: if, uh, if I had to rank the the odds of player of the player being the highest score, it would be Brady one, Foles two, and Deion Lewis three.
1: Yeah, I think that's reasonable. Uh, I think Gronk is in the neighborhood of Deion Lewis. Well, the obviously the be- reason
0: not Gronk though is because it's just so unlikely that Gronk has a big game and Tom Brady doesn't.
1: Right. So if you look at
0: let's see, so the highest scoring games for Gronk this year.
1: Yeah, how often has Gronk outscored Brady? How, how many times has that happened? Do you have that in front of you?
0: Almost none.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's hard for him to do it. He, has to, he probably has so, to catch two or more touchdowns.
0: So in Gronk's big games this year where he scored over 20 fantasy points, Brady scored upwards of 30 in those games.
1: Well, the other thing is that with FanDuel, uh, we're talking about – only uh, half a point per reception, right? And then there's also um, there's no receiving bonus for 100 yards. There's no bonus of any kind. So it's much harder for Gronk to outscore Brady to outscore Brady on FanDuel than it is for him to outscore Brady on DraftKings.
0: So uh, Gronkowski went over 20 points four times this year and never went over 30. Brady went over 30 points twice and went over 20 points one, two, three. Four, five, six, a lot of times. Uh, seven times he went over 20. So Brady is, to me, just a much better play for that 2x spot. And I don't think you should roster Gronkowski there just because even in the event that Gronkowski does catch two touchdown passes, Brady is still probably going to outscore him.
1: Right, and even if Brady doesn't outscore him, he'll probably be close. I mean, the, the chance that Gronk has, let's say, 30 fantasy points and Brady only has 15, that's a really, really unlikely outcome. That basically can only happen if Brian Hoyer is in a quarterback for some portion of the game and throws a touchdown to Gronk. I mean, Gronk can outscore Brady. That could happen. But for him to outscore Brady by a lot, you're paying for very little upside if you use Gronk in that 2x spot. So I think I like Gronk just generally to put in a different spot because he correlates with Brady. Uh, That part's obvious, but... Yeah, if you're going to not use Brady in the 2X, which I don't even think I'll do, I think it's got to be Nick Foles or maybe Deion Lewis. But I think that you're probably reaching a bit to go with either of those guys.
0: Especially because we're not totally sold on Deion on Dion Lewis getting the red zone touches. Yeah, it uh, could I be
1: any Patriots running back in the red zone.
0: Yeah, I would have to make... And anybody, if you're going to use Deion Lewis in the 2X spot, you would have to be making a lot of lineups to do that. The, the best place to start with is Brady in the 2X spot. Like, I would think if I'm making, just making a random number, of 10 lineups, it's probably going to be 8 Brady in the 2X spot and 2 with Foles. And it's probably not until I get to, like, 20 lineups that I would consider making 1 with Lewis there.
1: Yeah, so I guess uh, we can move on from this Brady in the 2X spot component, I think that that's pretty much set in stone for both of us, and we'll just look at those same... Va- it's going to be a lot of the same value plays that we like on DraftKings.
0: Oh, that's not true. Who's the best value on the entire thing? Well, right, you it's, can talk a,
1: about. A, a, it's a lot of the same. It's not all the same.
0: No, no. no there's one thing that's... Di- What's the one thing that's different?
1: Well, we've got kickers here, of course. Okay. I didn't so forget... <laughs>
0: Why, why do we like the kickers a
1: lot? Well, if you just look at the points per game of the players, Fan- FanDuel gives you the fantasy points per game next to these guys. And Jake Elliott and Steven Goskowski average more fantasy points per game than all the players around them. And Jake Elliott especially. I mean, kickers are very random. Elliott is $1,000 cheaper than Gostkowski. Um So there's two reasons, maybe even three reasons, I like Elliott a lot for this for this slate. Uh, He'll be low-owned because when you can use position players, who in their right mind would use a kicker instead? Uh, I think they should, but people won't be doing that very much. Um, The Patriots also, I don't know how reliable this is, but they've been really bad defensively until other teams get to the red zone. And then once teams get to the red zone, the Patriots are one of the best defenses in football. If there's any relevance to that, if, if that's even remotely still true then you'd have to think that there are a lot of field goals that should potentially be attempted uh, against them. And this game's also in a dome in Minnesota. So Jake Elliott's a rookie. I think people might be scared that he could choke or something. I don't know, but it's a good kicking environment. It's a good kicking matchup, whatever that means. That's not something I thought I'd ever say. Um, And he's cheap relative and he outscores the players in his price range. So I think there's a lot to like here. Uh, and then I, could guess we could, I guess we could get on to the uh, correlation for players that correlate with Jake Elliott, because we do have some of that too.
0: Yeah, so the other thing, just to back up your point. So Jake Elliott is 8500 Priced right below him is Torrey Smith at 8000 And Jake Elliott scores more than twice as many fantasy points as him. Rex Burkhead is the same price as Elliott. And Burkett actually does score more points, except that's also because he had a huge role in the, in the Patriots offense at one point in the season and he doesn't anymore. Probably the more, uh, the better comparison is that Garrett Blunt is 500 more than Jake Elliott and scores six and a half fantasy points per game to Elliott, who scores 9.93. And then we go up to Steven Goskowski at 9,500. He scores 10.75, Blunt below him at 6.47. And then above him is... James White, who scores 7.57 fantasy points per game this year. And then above him, we have Chris Hogan at 10000 who I think both of us really like as a value play. Uh, he scores uh, 10.3 fantasy points per game. Uh, but I, I think that Hogan, just like he was on the DraftKings showdown, is also a really good value on FanDuel.
1: Yeah, if uh, we're, we're comparing Gostowski and Elliott to players in their price range, and there is one that stands out that actually is just as productive as them. And that's just because Chris Hogan is also undervalued as we talked about with the DraftKings slate. Um, So yeah, certainly like Chris Hogan here too. Um, And then Jay Ajayi only priced a little bit higher than that. Um, The Jay Ajayi-Jake Elliott correlation is kind of my favorite move for this FanDuel tournament. I think it's my favorite play of any sort of fantasy thing for the whole Super Bowl. Because like we said, Ajayi doesn't score touchdowns. And... If you don't score touchdowns, but you run the ball well, you move down the field, which Ajayi should have a large part in doing, then you're going to end up with field goals. Um, So I don't know that Ajayi and Elliott—well, there is some positive correlation there, because if Ajayi does play well, the Eagles are going to be in the red zone. And then Ajayi comes off the field, and I guess it makes it easy for rooting interests. Once Ajayi comes off the field, just root for field goals. But uh, Ajayi won't be taking away points for Elliott. He's going to be helping Elliott get points by getting him into the red zone. And then LeGarrette Blunt will come into the game. And LeGarrette Blunt is really bad. And I think it could set up for the Eagles to have a lot of field goal attempts.
0: No, I definitely, I definitely agree with that. Uh, Goskowski and Jake Elliott are both good plays. In terms of fades here, I, Danny Amendola, once again, is a fade for me. He is tied for being the fifth most expensive player. Brandon Cooks is cheaper. I think he's a much better play. Jay Ajayi is cheaper. Deion Lewis is about the same price. So those are all guys I'd prefer to roster. Nelson Aguilar, I think, is an okay play here, but he's a much better play on the DraftKings showdown. He's way more expensive relative to the field for the FanDuel one. So my favorite plays here, once again, it's Brady and Foles. They're my favorite plays in the DraftKings one as well. The kickers for the ownership also, and then uh, Chris Hogan for cheap and Jay Ajayi, cheap-ish.
1: Yeah, I think I'll be rostering a lot more Elliott than Goskowski because of that Ajayi correlation. I think Goskowski will be higher owned than Elliott because he's the kicker on the team that should theoretically score more points, but that doesn't necessarily mean they'll have more field goals. Uh, But yeah, I like both kickers, which is certainly a weird thing. I'll probably have them together in some lineups. Uh, which would be a fun Super Bowl if it's like a 19 to 16 game with a lot of field goals. That would be very exciting for our purposes. Um, there are a couple of players who we liked on DraftKings that I don't really like for FanDuel. Uh, Corey Clement's up to 7,000 here. I think he's usable, but it's a more friendly price on DraftKings. And there's also uh, less of a PPR bonus on FanDuel. So I won't be using Clement as much on FanDuel. Uh, and then the backup quarterbacks. Much easier even than on DraftKings to fade here. Uh, well, actually, much it's easier it's to fade equal, on it's DraftKings. Equally, it's equally easy. Well, they are really cheap though. I, I think it's worth noting. What I meant to say here is that even though they're way cheaper than they are on DraftKings, I still am not considering them. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, anything else we should add for this FanDuel slate? Obviously, going to be fading Legarrette Blunt here also. Uh, Brandon Cooks has a little bit more favorable of a price on FanDuel and as someone who's not reliant on reception volume, uh, the lack of a PPR bonus doesn't hurt him as much. Uh, the big play potential for Cooks, I think could go overlooked here. So I like him a little for both sites, but I think I like him for FanDuel more.
0: Okay. So now let's talk about the important thing. What is <laughs> the most important game mode of the entire Super Bowl? is, is FanDuel bingo.
1: FanDuel Bingo. So if you don't know about this, and I think a lot of people are not going to be playing their bingo cards because they just uh, they don't realize what it is and they just didn't think to check for it. Uh, so if you go to the top of the FanDuel contest page, it says free game bingo, and if you click on it, you've got a you've got a bingo card here with a lot of weird potential events for the Super Bowl with a GameStop fourth quarter free square in it. Uh, the prizes are well, there's money involved. There's it's GameStop uh, uh, coupons, gift cards. Is that what's going on there?
0: So we have another thing also, the bingo is just a free roll. You're not, you're not paying it. It costs
1: $0. You have to play bingo.
0: You don't have to, (laughs) you have to play it. it. (laughs) Okay, sure. You have to. So yeah, it's uh, they pay out some cash. Even if you just call bingo on your card, you get a free ticket entry. So there is, there is value in just playing it even if it's, not very much. And if you do happen to win first, it's $1,000 in Xbox, a Madden. Uh, I don't know why they give you $1,000 and a $50 GameStop gift card, but that's, that's what it is. So it's worth looking at. Um, the, the squares on, on the bingo card for FanDuel, I don't understand what half of the shit is. Like, my thing is so confusing. Like one of the things I have here is second half Giselle Bunchin.
1: Yeah, I that that one happened. that one is just uh, I, they're gonna show her on TV, I think, and then your square is gonna light up, and then you gotta click it. Is that what's gonna happen?
0: I don't know. I, I, we're only gonna find out. There's three plus puppies ads I have. Uh, what else is on here?
1: I've got a sexy back on mine, which is uh, Justin Timberlake well, well, has to sing this song. I think
0: I, I figured out what that one is. That's because Justin Timberlake's performing at halftime. So if he sings Sexy back, then you get that. If he doesn't, then you're just screwed.
1: Yeah, I'm going to be really rooting hard during the halftime show. I usually don't watch it, but I think it's very important this year.
0: Yeah, you have to, you have to get your $2 bingo card filled out.
1: Well, if you uh, if you win, it's $1,000 to first place. If you're the first person in the entire FanDuel world to call bingo, then you do win $1,000 plus an Xbox One Madden bundle from GameStop and a $50 gift card. It's a, It's a nice package.
0: Yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> it's worth playing because it's free. If if you had if you had to spend money on it, it would not be worth
1: playing. So before we move on from this, uh, let's each say what our uh, best perceived route to bingo is. Do you want to do that? All right. Well, the free square. Okay. With which with which row? What are you looking at?
0: It's in the middle. What are you talking? No, you have it's to get five in
1: five in a row. Which is your best perceived combination with that free square?
0: Uh, well, um. I think it's three-plus puppies ads, New England throwing 20 passes, the free square, Philadelphia tight end through receptions. So that's going to be Zach Ertz, and then New England three punts.
1: Okay, so I actually don't think mine includes the free square because all the free square-based ones have weird things in it, like Justin Timberlake singing a particular song or the Eagles having a five-wide receiver set. Yeah, I just don't even, know
0: what three-plus puppies ad.
1: There's going to be three-plus puppies commercials. What do you mean? Like, that's that's a pretty easy one.
0: Three, but is it is it no is it a commercial with three puppies or No no, no. that's a, I think it's a,
1: got to be three or more separate ads for puppies.
0: But what's it what's an ad for puppies?
1: I think we'll know it when we see it. I think that's how we'll know.
0: I I've been I've watched a lot of football over the course of my life. I've seen a lot of Super Bowls. I know there's the puppy bowl, but I don't No, that doesn't
1: count. I don't think that counts. I I don't I don't know. I'm talking like I know what the rules actually I don't really get it. But anyway, I think I can get this this nice little five combo on this second-to-last row where it's 12 men on the field penalty. That seems reasonable. A play-action pass, 10 rushes for the Patriots, a second-half Patriots sack, and back-to-back first downs. Doesn't include a free square, but I, th- I think that one's going to happen.
0: All right. Your bingo card
1: stops. Okay. So
0: <laughs> that is going to finish the podcast for the Super Bowl. You can follow me on Twitter at D F S. Master handle is at Preaching Sense. We'll be back with the regular basketball podcast tomorrow and then uh, football another six months from now or something.